exciting series to dive into scripture. Y'all might see me nerd out a bit today when I get to just go straight into scripture. I absolutely love it because I love the word of God so much. Does anybody here love reading the Bible? Now let's be honest with my next question. Does anybody here struggle sometimes to read the Bible? Yep. Yeah, I think we've all been in that boat before. Um, and especially because there's two big parts of the Bible. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. And the Old Testament is where a lot of people get lost sometimes, right? The Old Testament is this first chunk of the Bible. Has anybody ever started reading the Old Testament and you go, I don't know what that means? right? Like, I think we've had those moments before when we first pick up a Bible, we think that we're supposed to read it from cover to cover like any other standard book, not realizing this is a library of many books put together. And so oftentimes people will start strong in Genesis and they get lost in Leviticus, right? Has anybody ever happened? <laughs> and then we just go, you know what? I really like the New Testament. I'm just going to stick with this part of the Bible, right? And a lot of people just stick with the New Testament. They're like, I'm just going to go to where they talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the gospel, right? The New Testament is even printed sometimes by itself, and sometimes people only have a copy of the New Testament. But can I tell y'all something, church? If you don't know the Old Testament, you're actually missing out on a huge part of the story because the Bible is this beautiful story from start to finish. It's God's redemptive plan for humanity. And so if we ignore the Old Testament, we're actually going to miss knowing greater parts of God's character. Yeah, we get to meet Jesus, who is God in the flesh in the New Testament, but there's so much of him to discover when we realize that he has used the Old Testament to set up Jesus coming on the scene. So I'm excited about this series because we get to dive into that a bit today and look at parts of the Old Testament that actually foreshadow what is to come in the New Testament when Jesus rocks up on this scene. To foreshadow basically means that there are stories and parallels and symbols and prophecies in the Old Testament that indicate or predict what is to come. And when you actually discover those, it starts to blow your mind because you realize God has been weaving this story since the very first day of creation. And so today, we're going to dive in and look at a particular person that we first meet in the book of Exodus. So we're going all the way back to the book of Exodus. And I'm going to sit for a little bit today. I um, hope that's okay, because there's a lot that I want to get through. But we're going to look at the book of Exodus. And it is one of the first five books of the Bible. In fact, we're going to look at the man who wrote this book. The man who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's also called the Torah or the Pentateuch. And the author who put pen to paper was a man named Moses. Have y'all heard of Moses before? There's a man named Moses. Now, what you also need to know about scripture is that all of scripture, every single page was divinely inspired by God. So God is the divine author, but he partnered with humanity as he is known to do. He partnered with humanity to put these words onto a page. And so you could think like Moses and these other authors are kind of like God's official secretaries, putting down what God is instructing them to record. And there's a lot about the story of Moses that sets up the story of Jesus. 
You know, on January 1st this year, there was a big group of us from this campus that actually embarked on a challenge together. We, um, a big group of us, you might be part of this, we committed to reading the Bible chronologically in a year together. To go from front to back chronologically as it was written. And we started going through the Bible together. We are now over 100 days into this, a quarter of the way through the, the Bible, which is so exciting. And so we've read these first five books among many others. And if you're wanting to look for a better way to understand and engage with scripture, I highly recommend the Bible recap. Raise your hand if you also recommend it. See, amen. Come on. We still got some people going strong. It doesn't matter if you're behind. You can still catch up. But the Bible recap, we've dived into this. And my message for y'all today is called Let My People Go. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Notes are also found in our Elam Christian Center app where you can just add in the extras around that. But let's pray before we jump in. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you that there is so much that you can teach us from your word, so much that you can pull out of the Old Testament. And as we dive into the New Testament, there's so much for us to discover. So God, today, I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts to see you on every page of scripture. And I ask for that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's so much that we could talk about in terms of the parallels between Moses and Jesus. But for the sake of time today, I want to look at six key aspects of Moses' leadership journey as he led the people of God, the nation of Israel, and how those six key parallels are actually mirrored in the story of Jesus today. Now, if you've never heard of a man named Moses, here's a quick introduction. He was born to a Hebrew woman at a time when all of the Hebrew baby boys were being killed because Pharaoh, the man in charge, thought that the nation of Israel was actually growing way too fast. And so he wanted to kill all of the baby boys at this time. But Moses miraculously survived this. And he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is a plot twist to the story. So the man who wants to kill all the baby boys, his own daughter wants to adopt one of them. And so one is spared. It so happens that the one who is spared is the one who's going to confront Pharaoh later on in the story. And so Moses grows up in the palace, but he makes a dumb decision, as many of us have done before. And because of this decision that he made, he ran away to a foreign land so he wouldn't have to face the consequences. But then God calls him to go back. Now, this is a huge ask. God calls Moses to go back into that land of oppression, a land of slavery, and to tell Pharaoh, uh, let my people go. That's what God is asking. Now, this is massive. Y'all need to understand, it's not just a group of like 10 people. It's not just Moses' immediate family that he needs to tell Pharaoh to let go. But it is 600,000 Israelite men plus all of the women and children. So scholars believe this could have been close to 2 million people. So basically, Moses had to go back to Pharaoh and say, um, Pharaoh, can you let half of New Zealand go? Like, can you let almost half of this country just walk out? We don't, like, have to bow down to your bondage and your slavery anymore. Like, that's a massive ask, right? That is huge. But Moses was 
an unexpected redeemer. This is the first thing you need to realize is Moses was an unexpected redeemer. He was not who you would imagine to be the hero of a story. He was somebody who had a speech impediment, yet he was going to be the one who God was asking to go and verbally confront Pharaoh. This man who was like, I don't know what to say or how to say it. God was sending him. He didn't look like your imagined rescuer or redeemer, yet he was the one who had to rise to the challenge. He was the one, the man on a mission sent back into that land of oppression to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. This man, this unexpected redeemer is the one who led what we now know as the Exodus. This moment where all of God's people left Egypt and walked into freedom. He was an unexpected redeemer leading people into freedom they didn't even know was possible. Because you have to understand that they were in bondage, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. And so many people were just born into slavery. They didn't realize that there was a different possible life for them. They didn't even realize this type of freedom could exist for them because it's all they ever knew. And so they didn't even realize for generations that something different, a life that was different, a life not in slavery was possible. And then when Jesus showed up in the New Testament, He was in every way unexpected too. He came into this world, this land of oppression, a land of corruption, and he didn't look like the Messiah that people had imagined. He didn't fit the mold of expectations for what a king should be, yet he came to this world on a mission to stand up against the enemy and to lead God's people towards freedom they didn't even know was possible. Because for generations, people were in this bondage mindset, this slavery mindset, and Jesus was coming to let them know there was a greater freedom that they could experience. Moses, he might have led people, the people of God, through physical salvation from slavery, but Jesus leads the people of God through eternal spiritual salvation. But how did they find salvation from slavery in Egypt? Well, Moses led the nation of Israel on a Red Sea rescue. A Red Sea rescue, you probably heard of this miracle before. You see, in order for the exodus of God's people to be a success, there needed to be this clear divide between their old life of bondage and their new life of freedom. There needed to be this miraculous separation so that the people would not be tempted to turn back. Because how often do you know when you're still attached to that old life of sin, that old life of bondage, that it's so much easier to just go back into it because it seems comfortable, because it's all you've ever known. There needed to be this miraculous separation. And so on their escape, they reach the edge of the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's army is hot on their heels. And so it seems like they're between an army that wants to capture them again and a Red Sea that they cannot cross. And in this moment, God uses Moses and the Red Sea starts to divide. This beautiful, crazy miracle where the Red Sea, a strong wind comes and the waters start to split. And it says there was a water, a, a wall of water that formed to their right and to their left, and they all crossed across on dry ground. Remember, almost two million people 
walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh's army tried to pass through, they tried to come in and walk across on dry ground. That's when God closed the waters back in and his army drowned them all. This was a Red Sea rescue that Jesus continues to bring in the hearts of people today. See, Jesus is still saying to people today that that old life that you thought was just the way it was always going to be, that old life that you thought was how it was going to be just because that's how it was for your mama and for your grandmama and all those people. See, actually, I have parted the waters for you. I have made a way for you to step into a new life, to step into freedom. Jesus is your Red Sea rescue. Jesus is the one who's made a way where it seemed like there was a wall. He's made a way for you to walk across into freedom you didn't even know was possible for you and your family and the generations to come. Do you realize that Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross where he shed blood for you was actually the formation of a bridge between you and our heavenly father? I actually have these cool photos I want to show you. Those photos of Moses and Jesus. If we could put that up. This is Moses up here in this moment, this miraculous moment where the waters are dividing. He's holding up his staff. But then I love this mirrored image here where Jesus on the cross is literally forming a bridge between this old life of bondage and this new life of freedom. This old life that you thought was just how it was going to be and this new life that you haven't even experienced yet. This moment on the cross is where Jesus made a bridge for you to cross into your life of freedom. This is incredible. Jesus is your Red Sea rescue. And actually, when we pass through the waters of baptism, we're symbolically leaving behind our old life and stepping into our new life. And we're saying, I am not turning back. But even though the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and they made it to the other side, They needed strength to continue on in their journey through the wilderness to reach the promised land because they didn't immediately step into the promised land. They were in freedom, yes, but they weren't yet in the promise. And so they needed to know what walking in freedom looked like. They needed to change their mindset and their perspective, and they needed to know how to have a genuine and honoring relationship with the God that just saved them. What they needed was a covenant relationship. Now, did you know that the word testament, it actually speaks about a covenant relationship. Now, when I say that, what I mean is this agreed promise between God and people. It's a promised agreement. That's a covenant relationship. And so when you read the Old Testament, you're actually reading about the old covenant relationship that God established with his people through Moses. And when you read the New Testament, you're reading about this new covenant, this new established promised agreement between God and people that he established through his son, Jesus. See, when you read scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. Testament is not just some fancy word to mean a first act, second act, and then the show's over. It doesn't mean first chapter and second chapter, but we're actually reading about this beautiful promised agreement between God and people. And that's why so often when you read the New Testament and you see the Pharisees come on the scene, the the teachers of religious law, they keep referencing the law of Moses. What they're referencing is the old covenant agreement. 
the, the established relationship that was established through Moses that they had been abiding by for centuries, for generations, so that they knew how to be made right with God. And then when Jesus came on the scene, this really messed with the Pharisees because they're like, oh, oh we're, we're by, uh, by the law of Moses. And Jesus came on the scene and he said, look, I didn't come to abolish the law. We need to acknowledge it, but actually I came to fulfill it. And here's my interpretation of this law that God, we established many centuries ago. Here's my interpretation of it. Many months ago, I preached a message here called the Revolutionary Rabbi, where Jesus, we, you know, discovered that Jesus was a rabbi with authority because he was God himself, which meant that he could teach his own yoke, his own interpretation of the law. And so that's what's happening in this, Moses, in this moment. You know, another cool parallel is Moses, he, he went up onto a mountaintop where he received the law from God. He received the 10 commandments from God in this mountaintop moment. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, he climbs up a mountain and preaches his most famous sermons from the side of a mountain. I love that this different parallel, God giving that law to Moses and then God walking on the mountain himself and saying, now here's how you need to understand this fully and completely. Jesus came as the new and greater Moses figure. Jesus came to have a more intimate relationship with people. And the law of Moses that we read about in Leviticus, you need to understand that was actually a beautiful sign of God's grace. And it's what the people needed in that time. People wanted to know, God, how do we honor you? How, what are our, your expectations of us? And so when God gave that law, it wasn't to be strict or religious, but it was actually a sign of his grace to say, here, it's pretty black and white. This is how you can honor me, right? And so that's what, what they needed in that period of time. But also, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll know that people didn't get it all right all the time, that people continued to give into their selfish and old ways, even the people that had walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. Like, even the people that had experienced that miracle, sometimes they still forgot how good and powerful and miraculous God was while they were in that wilderness season. Despite the, the people's grumbling and their complaints sometimes and forgetting who God was, Moses continued to offer up a protective plea. He offered up a protective plea. In fact, there were many times in this wilderness season where we read about Moses and the Israelites where God was ready to give the consequences for their sin. Now, note this when I say this. They were consequences that were made very clear. This was not a form of punishment or just to be evil or malicious from God. That's not his heart. That's not his character. But any consequence that came was actually something they already knew would happen. This was a form of discipline in the same way that a parent would discipline a child if they acted up, right? You're not punishing them maliciously, but you're actually just giving the consequence that you already told the kid was going to happen right? So this is a form of discipline in this moment, but on many occasions, Moses would stand in the gap between God and the people, and he would plead to God to show mercy. He'd say, God, I know who you are. I know your character, and I know the promises you've made to these people, and yeah, they messed up, and yes, they've turned their hearts away from you, and yes, they deserve consequences, but God, would you show them grace? And God did time and time again. And the ultimate sign of God's grace was in the form of his son, Jesus. Someone who also stood in the gap for us between us and the consequences we deserve to pay for our sin. The consequences that all of us deserve to pay for our sin. He stood in the gap and he took our place on that cross. 
He was the one who became the new and greater Moses, letting out a protective plea for grace from the Father, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, both Moses and Jesus appealed to this faithful character of the Father and his endless love for people. Both of them let out a protective plea. And Jesus continues to plea on our behalf when we continue to mess up. Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, even when you're in a relationship with God, both Moses and Jesus realized that some days people were going to need a bit of grace because some days people wouldn't get it right. And aren't you thankful that we serve a God of grace? Aren't you thankful that we have Jesus standing in the gap for us, saying, Father, forgive them. She doesn't know what she's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. Aren't you thankful that we serve that kind of God? You know, because Moses knew that people had a bad habit of forgetting how good God was, and they had a habit of walking all over his grace. He also continuously emphasized a commitment to remembrance. A commitment to remembrance. See, Moses knew that people had a sinful nature and they could easily forget the goodness of God. Moses knew that sometimes they were going to look back at Egypt and their life of slavery and be like, wasn't that good? Wasn't, and they would try to just remember the good moments of that old life, right? I know some of us have done it before. We look back at life, wasn't that really nice? No, <laughs> they were in slavery, Okay. But he knew that the people might start to grumble, even though miracles were happening all around them. But they were in a wilderness season. And Moses said, we need to become a people that are committed to remembering who God truly is. So he established different things with the people, with the nation of Israel, one of which was on their clothing. They started to wear these tassels that had blue cord. And these blue tassels that they would wear on their clothing actually reminded them of the character, the faithful character of God. reminded them to pray and to always be in communication with God. And then later in the Old and the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene and he's known as this revolutionary rabbi, he was wearing the same blue tassels, y'all, to be reminded of that faithful character of the Father. This is amazing that this commitment to remembrance continued on for generations. God even established through Moses for the people that to honor the Sabbath and to celebrate feasts every year to remember all of those moments and to sing songs, you know, about crossing the Red Sea, to sing songs about his goodness because people had the bad habit of forgetting. And if you've been reading the Bible with us, you would have also noticed how often Moses had to repeat himself to the Israelites, right? You might read these books of Moses in the beginning and you might think, well, Moses, you said that already. Like how many times are you going to repeat yourself, right? I know some of us might have had that moment when we're reading the Bible recap. Some of y'all might have been skipped, um, tempted to skip ahead because you're like, I already heard that, Moses. I don't need to hear it again. But really, if you think about it, what psychologists have discovered today is that people need to hear something seven times in order to fully remember it and absorb it. So Moses was just a step ahead of the researchers, and he knew he just needed to keep repeating himself until the day he died because people have a bad habit of forgetting. And when they would forget, they would fall away from God. And even Jesus knew this. When he sat at the Last Supper with his disciples, knowing that he was going to be crucified, as he sat there, he broke the bread and he passed around the cup, what we know as communion. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
What he was saying was, don't forget me when I'm no longer sitting here in the flesh with you. Don't forget what you've seen. Don't forget what I have shown you, what I have taught you. Don't forget me after I've been sacrificed on the cross for you and I go back to sit in heaven with the Father. Don't forget. Because he knew people had a bad habit of forgetting It was generations after Moses, but people are the same type of people. And they both knew that we needed to commit to remembrance in every aspect of our lives. Why? Because it honors God and it shows incredible honor in our relationship with God. When we actually commit to remembering God in the middle of our relationships, in the way we build and decorate our homes, in the way we do business, in the way we talk to people online, in the way that we love others and serve people, in the way that we act in the community God has placed us in. He's saying, don't forget who I am and what I've done for you. Would you commit to remembering me? Would you commit to honoring me? Keys can come join me now. Here's the cool thing that happens when we show that honor that both Moses and Jesus tried to instill in God's people. When we do that, we experience what it feels like to win in the wilderness. We get to win in the wilderness. You know, when Israel crossed over dry land and they found freedom from slavery, they didn't immediately enter the promised land like I said. In fact, it was because of their heart condition in their slavery mindset, that God needed some time to work on them into a season of growth before they could step into the promise. A journey that could have taken them 11 days took them 40 years, y'all. 40 years, and it was their own fault. But despite their behavior in the wilderness, Moses never gave up on them. And sometimes God wouldn't let Moses give up on them. On days when Moses was like, I don't want to be their leader anymore, God was like, I've called you. And in the days when God was like, they need consequences for their sin, Moses was like, would you forgive them? Moses never gave up. God never gave up. Even when they finally reached the point where they would enter the promised land, Moses, their humble, committed servant leader, couldn't join them. He died before the nation stepped into the promised land. But I'm so thankful that Jesus never gives up on us. See, I'm so thankful that God is unrelenting in his grace, even when we often act like the Israelites did centuries ago. We're still exhibiting the same behavior today. Some of us are still battling with this slavery mindset and trying to look back on that old life with rose-colored glasses. But here's this beautiful difference between Moses and Jesus. See, Moses led the people of God to a physical promised land. But Jesus, he leads us to a heavenly homeland, which if you think about it, is the ultimate promised land. And even better is Jesus is gonna be there with us when we get to enter. Jesus is with us in that victory. Now you might be thinking, well, Jesus doesn't know what my wilderness season looks like. Lies you tell, he does, because he walked through the wilderness too. Do you realize that after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, he walked into the wilderness not for 40 years, but for 40 days where he actually experienced incredible temptation from the enemy, but he overcame human weakness in that moment. 
He was able to stand on the promises written in Scripture and remember who he was in that moment. Even though he was in human flesh, Jesus won in the wilderness, which means that we can win in the wilderness too. Jesus is the new and greater Moses. He delivered us from slavery. And he gave us new divine teaching, establishing a new covenant that saves us from our sin and it welcomes us into eternity because of Jesus. We get to win in the wilderness too. You know, the most famous words that Moses spoke in the Bible were the words, let my people go. Kids sing songs about it, right? He said, let my people go. When he stood up defiantly against Pharaoh, he was Israel's unexpected redeemer. Then he led the nation of Israel on a Red Sea rescue and he established this covenant relationship between God and people. He continued to let out a protective plea when they messed up, which was often. And he said, we got to commit to remembering who God is, y'all. And because of that, he helped the Israelites win in the wilderness so they could step into their promised land. But do you realize God is declaring those same words over you today? boldly going against the attacks of the enemy on your life. And he's saying, let my people go. In fact, famous words that are written in Revelation chapter one, verse 18. He says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He said the ultimate, let my people go. When he conquered sin and death and rose from the grave, He is the one that is still declaring that over you today. And if you look at it, if we go back to that list, we can now know that Jesus is our unexpected redeemer. Jesus is our Red Sea rescue. Jesus is the new covenant relationship. Jesus continues to let out a protective plea on your behalf. Jesus says, would y'all commit to remembering me? Jesus is the one who helps us win in the wilderness. See, Jesus looked at you when the devil thought he had you and he said let my daughter go let my son go let my people go but here church you got to remember this this is the last thing I'm gonna say is that Jesus parted the way for us he is our Red Sea rescue but you got to walk it out he's not gonna force you to cross over into freedom but he says the path is cleared I am the way I am the truth I am the life and whoever believes in me will experience that freedom that I've promised you, but you gotta say, yes, I am walking towards my Redeemer. Yes, I am in here, I am with Jesus. Yes, be my Lord and Savior. You gotta be the one to say to the enemy, look, you can find me on the other side of the Red Sea because I know who is with me in this victory. You gotta take those steps towards freedom yourself.